0: This is Evan napin and L2AL to everyone, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Today on Gun Lawyer, I want to talk to you about something that you know at first you might not agree with me, but I'm going to ask you to to hear me out on the whole thing because I'm going to lay out a lot of reasons here, and I think I think in the end I'm going to get you to see it the way I see it, and if not, then it's something to debate. But I want to talk to you today about why you should welcome the undocumented. Now, I understand, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the undocumented, but I'm going to tell you right now, the undocumented, do, contrary to popular belief, contrary to the media, they do not increase crime, okay? There's no correlation between undocumented and crime. It's just ridiculous, and the media... Perpetrates this myth because they are, frankly, um, prejudiced against the undocumented, and I really feel we should stand up for the undocumented, not fall for the media. The media likes to say that you know the undocumented and and uh, that they end up contributing to narco traffic, you know, and and it's has nothing to do with you know narcotics trafficking. narcotics trafficking is going to take place whether it's undocumented or not and this is what we're seeing so you know to again to smear the undocumented to put them in this category is unfair and wrong and let me tell you what else the undocumented do not carry disease The, the media likes to play up the undocumented that they're somehow bringing disease they like to play up undocumented as a disease I mean, you know, they put it into the the, the public health arena and try to go after the undocumented claiming this spread of disease that comes from the undocumented in which the undocumented themselves are categorized as a disease and made into a public health crisis let me just be clear the undocumented are not to be feared they're not to be feared yet the fear-mongering continues the undocumented is put into the mainstream media to scare us to get the general public worried and afraid and it's completely wrong and unnecessary and frankly the undocumented need to be protected from those that prey on them. And there are many predators out there. There are predators out there that prey on the undocumented, and they use the undocumented for their own gain. They use them politically. The undocumented are used to try to gain political favor. They're attacked by politicians to... Bolster their political position, and yet it's all based on nonsense. There's no basis for it, but it doesn't matter because they use the undocumented for an emotional appeal to the uneducated and uninformed public. They don't recognize that there's benefits from the undocumented. The undocumented can provide a lower. Cost to consumers, yeah. There's lower cost because when you look at what the undocumented, what the undocumented do, it creates uh, more competition out there. It creates an alternate source for the economic advantage that the undocumented can give, even us as an individual. And this is often overlooked, underrated. And finally, and most importantly and we're and we're seeing this absolutely that the the government cannot control the undocumented and we see them try and fail, and it is just a crisis to others where those that are documented get threatened by the government actions as they attempt to go after the undocumented. So, of course, what I'm talking about are undocumented firearms. And undocumented firearms, I think, are a lot better than calling them ghost guns. Instead, we have undocumented guns. And if you think about the tremendous advantage of all the uh, undocumented guns that are out there, then you start to see why it's so important. And if you think about it, the media will not call ghost guns undocumented guns. And I think in the reverse, I really wanna see undocumented individuals, people, see if the media will one day call them ghost immigrants. Do you think ghost immigrants is gonna fly as we have uh, all these ghost immigrants coming in, which, if you think about it, they're undocumented. That makes them a ghost immigrant. We can't track them. We don't know where they are. We don't know who they are. We don't know anything about... Well, somehow, that entire political issue is out there for undocumented immigrants. But if you think about it in terms of firearms... You see that the very arguments that they try to use really apply even better to guns. Because undocumented guns are unregistered guns. And unregistered guns continue a freedom that we have. They continue to be an insurance policy for liberty. And unregistered guns, homemade guns, have been part of America since before we became a country. So talk about a tradition. There's a tremendous tradition in our country of guns not being registered and not being documented. It's insurance policy for our liberty and for our freedom. If you really want to get into the truest meaning of the Second Amendment, it's a check on tyranny. And what better way to be a check on tyranny than to have undocumented guns that can't be traced and confiscated by tyrants. And see, that's what we have to adjust our thinking because the media is on a campaign to, again, disparage and to make so-called ghost guns the pejorative, when in reality we're talking about guns that represent the purest form of freedom. Now, there have been states, including New Jersey, that have passed laws prohibiting the possession of guns without serial numbers. Yet a gun without serial number, serial numbers weren't even required until the 60s, and there are plenty of firearms manufactured by mainstream manufacturers, 22s and shotguns, that were not required to ever have serial numbers. And they're out there and... uh And yet, possessing that in New Jersey is a felony-level offense. And when you want to make a gun just for yourself, your own home build, that's a direct correlation to the Second Amendment the right to keep and bear arms is the right to have your own arm that you made. Think about it. Yet, I have a case where in a number of cases where the government has come into a person's uh, home, seized firearms that were in their home, and then charged the person because a firearm in their home did not have a serial number. I'm not talking about a serial number that was on it and was removed. I'm talking about a gun that never had one because it was built by the individual who kept it and maintained it in their own home. What could be more pure of an expression of the right to keep and bear arms than possessing a firearm that you built from scratch for yourself. Since when does the Second Amendment require that you buy a gun from some other maker, that the gun you have has to be made by a major manufacturer that puts serial numbers on it? That's contrary to the very spirit and message of the Second Amendment. Second Amendment is about our individual right, our individual right to keep and bear arms, including an arm that we ourselves made for ourselves to be kept by ourselves. And this is why that's not prohibited under federal law to do this. Now, of course, the current administration wants to change that. They want to make it so that that is prohibited. And that would, of course, violate Second Amendment, but they're not concerned with that uh, at all, as uh, I'm sure you observe by their actions, not by their words. As soon as you can, the the way you can immediately tell that a politician of some sort is after your gun rights and after your guns and wants to take your property and take your rights, the way you can instantly tell is when they say, well, I support the Second Amendment, but... (laughs) As soon as you hear that, you know what they're about. There is no but to, I support the Second Amendment, okay? doesn't exist. And as soon as you hear it, you know that that first thing they just said is an absolute lie. And I have seen, and I'm sure you have seen, some of the most anti-gun politicians to ever walk the planet Claim, oh, well, I'm, I'm in favor of the second amendment, but of course we have to control ghost guns and assault firearms and Saturday night specials and any gun over 12 inches and any gun under 12 inches and any gun with a brace and not with a brace and concealable and not concealable on and on and on and on. But I support the second amendment. Right. Yeah. Of course they don't. They don't support it. And it's just death by a thousand cuts for our rights. It's a salami tactic of one slice at a time. It's the boiling of the frog with a frog, and they slowly turn up the heat till the frog doesn't realize and it's too late. Whatever analogy you want to use, that's what they're doing to us. And you've got to recognize it and stop it before it gets worse and worse and worse. It's already at a point where we're at a tipping point, a tipping point where. The anti-gun dream of eliminating the Second Amendment by way of all these laws and rules and regs can happen. And they're doing it in New Jersey as their experimental state. That's where they, they test it out. And this new batch of bills that's back in the arena, even though they got Canned in the last section. They're all going to be there. This is the one to put it over the top and to make it so that individuals will find it virtually impossible to lawfully possess firearms, continue to possess firearms, and not have their rights taken from them by the government. This is the plan, and you've got to look ahead and see it and recognize it. So those undocumented guns can become very important when dealing with a future that may mean the end of our rights and uh, ultimately uh, history demonstrates it. So beware and uh, make sure you support the undocumented it's important and don't fall for media propaganda on that and we come back we're going to talk about some uh, other things I think you'll find very interesting.
1: For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator, fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman, tearing away at anti gun propaganda to expose the truth author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Nappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Nappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
0: So I want to thank all my listeners as uh, you are what makes this show great. And um, I am so thankful to be able to have a great platform here to convey to you important information and uh, things that you need to know when dealing particularly with our Second Amendment rights. So make sure you subscribe and tell your friends to listen and subscribe and one of the things I love a lot is getting the letters, communications from my listeners. And I have a couple letters here I'd like to share with you, and I think you'll appreciate it as well. This is from Justin. and Justin says, regarding firearm lawsuits. Hi, Evan. I'm an avid listener to your podcast. Thank you for your work on gun rights. My question is this. Our legislators in New Jersey are constantly attacking the little pieces of the Second Amendment we have left in the state on the payer's dime, guess I meant taxpayers. It's great to see our Second Amendment associations fighting back with lawsuits as well. Is there a way not only to sue for gun rights, but also to sue for reimbursement of taxpayer dollars for the amount Of money, state lawmakers have spent pushing anti gun laws that are found unconstitutional in the future. I feel this could be a deterrent for more laws. In a similar way, Murphy wants to add expenses through licensing and training expenses for New Jersey gun owners. I hope to hear from you on this. Again, thank you. Regards, Justin. So basically, uh, I get what Justin's saying. He wants to know. Hey, is there essentially a way of getting money back as these politicians and such uh enact these laws that are blatantly unconstitutional, found to be unconstitutional and uh you know, is there an economic uh, uh incentive here that could a be a disincentive for politicians to pass anti-gun laws and an incentive to challenge arguably challenge anti-gun laws and the answer to that is yes there can be and in fact to a certain degree there is and it's getting bigger and better and stronger every day particularly now as we're heading into the decision that should come down on the New York State rifle and pistol versus Bruin case where the Supreme Court will by I guess is by June release its opinion and I'm confident we're going to win and it's a question by how much are we going to win and as it gets more and more established about the second amendment and its protection and guarantee of our rights the more we can fit that into a civil rights issue then you can get attorney's fees on the civil rights challenges and therefore there's more incentive for lawyers to sue and already this has been done on a number of these cases and you see how the ability to get fees uh, really increase the incentive to bring the litigation to take down the anti-gun laws so economics is an incentive folks I mean we live in a capitalist society and we need to face facts and the economic incentive Uh, As it gets stronger and stronger when it comes to challenging anti-gun laws that violate the Constitution, uh, the better until you have um, so many of these lawsuits out there that are challenging these uh, horrible anti-gun laws and costing the state lots and lots of money. Uh, And eventually you get them to uh, change their ways. Now, of course, the downside is the state is tax dollars, and tax dollars comes from the citizens, and the citizens end up paying for the unconstitutional acts that are passed and created by the politicians themselves. But ultimately, it's going to come back on these politicians that have cost the taxpayers a lot of money when they should have known better. And see, that's really the point. We're seeing proposals of anti-gun laws that are blatant violations of the law without even having any argument. When you see a law proposed by Murphy, Governor Murphy, pushing in New Jersey that your firearms have to be locked up when in your home, well, that is blatantly a contradiction to Heller which said that's unconstitutional. But why should that stop an anti-gun zealot, right? So they will still pass a law, even though it's prohibited by the Constitution. Do you think if a politician proposed to make slavery legal again, that that'd be fine? That would be fine. Oh, well, we'll have to go through the courts and the courts will just have to say, no, that's unconstitutional. It violates, you know, the 13th or the 14th or the 15th Amendment. And you shouldn't have passed that, that pro-slavery law. Duh. Is that really how it's supposed to fly? No, there's going to be civil rights issues. There's is going to be incentives. There's going to be ability to get that money. And unfortunately, when it comes to the Second Amendment, they don't want to respect it. They don't care. They just as soon keep piling on and costing the taxpayer. But at some point, it's gonna have an impact. At some point, the amount of money they're putting out, the amount of money it's gonna cost them, they're gonna have to back down. Look, I recently had a case where an individual's rights were trampled upon by the state of New Jersey who had guns seized and they went, they being the state, went over a year on this person's firearms not being returned to them and it was really outrageous. and I did not represent this person through this process but uh, when they came to me and I saw that it had been sat out there for a year and nothing had happened well I'll tell you what this is one of the rare laws in New Jersey where they actually lay out that if there's a, 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 a wrongful failure to return and it's based on bad faith etc and they You can actually get attorney's fees. One of the few areas in Jersey where they actually had this. And I sent that letter laying out why we're going to demand attorney's fees and why this should have been taken care of and it's outrageous how long it is and the whole bit. You know, I sent that letter out that same day. That same day, I got the reply back. Oh, he can pick up his guns returning and we're giving him back all good, all fine. Sorry about that. Boom. That shows you the power. When you actually put some teeth in the law, when you actually have the ability for uh, getting attorney's fees paid, for getting damages, etc. And in states that have that, it's very effective. Now, New Jersey only has it in one limited place, but even that has proven to be very worthwhile just to have that threat there. So when it comes to passing pro-gun laws, folks, if you're in pro-gun states, make sure that the legislators enforce that law with teeth, with financial teeth, with the ability to bring lawsuits, to get paid on the attorney's fees, to create the incentive, to bring the litigation, to keep these bureaucrats in line and to keep them in line to do their job and respect the Second Amendment. Put these fees and penalties into any, if your state has licensing, put it in the licensing. Look, in New Jersey, there's a law, actual law on the license that says a firearm purchaser ID card and or handgun purchase permit, it has to be decided by the chief, yes or no, approved or denied, within 30 days. Now, if any of you are familiar with New Jersey's laws, that's a joke. I mean, some folks may live in towns where they actually do it fast, but the norm is to go over 30 days, even though the law says 30 days. And you know why? Because there's no teeth to that law. Yeah, it says it's are supposed to do it in 30 days, but it doesn't say there's any punishment if they don't and if you make the punishment that the license is automatically issued if you make the punishment that they're responsible to pay attorney's fees if you got to go to court to force them to do their job if you put those kind of things in it can be effective because in other states where they have it it's proven effective in other states where I've uh, brought issues over licensing matter One chief who failed to file the procedure on the issuance of carry permit had to personally pay $5,000, personally, for the violation. Well, guess what? That problem didn't occur anymore. This is what we're talking about. So as far as Justin's question, yes, and we need to put more in the laws themselves to allow it. It needs to keep coming under and being put into civil rights litigation to get those fees that can be paid under federal law, this is the way to do it. And it does create an important incentive and it is a way of combating the attacks on our rights. I have another letter here from Jim. It says regarding rendering a firearm inoperable. Jim says, Hi, Evan. I've seen you speak many times, and I listen to every episode. Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. My question is regarding inherited prohibited firearm in New Jersey. Is there any way to take possession of such a firearm upon inheriting? I'm assuming the only legal method to own such weapon in New Jersey is to render it inoperable. What exactly does that consist of? Removal of the firing pin, concrete, and barrel? Good grief. Interested to know if it's possible to own such a weapon for display purposes only. Thank you and keep up the great work, Jim. Okay, Jim, the key here, if you're talking about rendering inoperable, those words are found in New Jersey's assault firearm statute. The problem is in New Jersey, when Governor Florio got that through, there was a one year period from May of 90 to 91 where possessors of so-called assault firearms had choices. They could either voluntarily surrender the gun, get rid of it, and get no compensation. They could register it, but only very few were allowed to be registered. Only four types of guns could even have been registered. Or render it inoperable. And if you rendered it inoperable, you had to remove the pin or the bolt, or whatever you're going to remove, you couldn't possess that part anymore, and you had to file paperwork, a specific rendering inoperable form had to be filed. And that was only available for that one year, and it required the paperwork being filed. And if that didn't happen, then it was not deemed properly rendered inoperable, and you could still be prosecuted for unlawful possession of an assault farm, even though it was inoperable, if you didn't do that piece of paper within that time frame. So inoperability is not a cure for anything in New Jersey. Uh, It doesn't matter if you have the pin out or anything like that. It doesn't legally change uh, the enforcement that will still take place. As a matter of fact, as I said, there's even cases where individuals had rendered it inoperable, and simply because that piece of paper wasn't filed, even though they rendered it inoperable during that one year, during the time frame when you were supposed to render it inoperable. But the fact they didn't file the document did not save them. It did not save them. So the inoperability is not an issue. The thing is, uh, it, it depends here on how the item that's, quote, prohibited in New Jersey, the status of it in terms of the inheritance because if you had one of the few guns that you could register in New Jersey, which included the AR 15, the M1A, and the M1 carbine that the Attorney General declared were, quote, legitimate target shooting firearms. If you, within that period of time from May of 90 to 91, paid $50 and registered those guns, because they were the only ones you were allowed to register then you have an officially registered assault firearm in Jersey. Problem is, the statute said that anyone who had a registered assault firearm, that gun was uninheritable. The fact that it was registered made it so you could not inherit, could not leave it to your heirs. Yet interestingly, unregistered assault firearms are inheritable in New Jersey. Now, you might say, well, how can that be if they're contraband or prohibited? Ah, because if an individual in Jersey got their guns out of state and stored their prohibited guns in Jersey, let's say in Pennsylvania, and they were unregistered assault firearms, then those would pass to the heirs, even in New Jersey, but they'd not be allowed to come into New Jersey, but they would pass to the heirs, and the heirs could then dispose of them in the other state where they were kept. Whereas if it was a registered assault farm that they stored out of state, that would have to be forfeited to the government under the law. So that's how crazy it is. So it's going to depend very much, uh, Jim, on what exactly we're talking about. But if we're talking about Jersey's assault farm, then it depends where they are, where they're stored, and how they came into possession. Federal law is good on inheritance, But it's a state law where it gets real crazy. So beware and seek advice of counsel uh, if you run into that specific situation. Hey, folks, Till next time, this is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. L2AL, folks, over and out.